Thank you for visiting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray the following message will be encouraging to you. For more information about us, visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. Listen in as we start taking away the layers of religion and discover the joys of a relationship with the Creator. What's up? Good morning. Good morning. Anybody excited about just hearing something from God this morning? Amen. All the people in this little area here are real excited. Praise God. Well, listen, this week has been, has been a weird week for me. It started with an email. How many of you ever had an email just kind of change, change your attitude for the whole week and, and change a lot of things in, in right? So this week, um, I started my week with an email and, and I got this email followed by quite a bunch of emails right after that. And the subject of that email was simply this, Jason found George. That was the title of the email, Jason found George. Now, you, this email was from a whole group of friends that I knew during my early high school years. Somebody say long time. It's not that long, right? Don't, don't play yourselves. But it was, I got this email from a whole bunch of friends, and, and after catching up with a bunch of them, man, it, it, it was crazy to find out. Um, let me give some shout-outs real quick. They're out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They're down in Miami, Florida. They're out in uh, Philly. They're out in uh, California. These are all, there's just a little group of friends that I used to hang out with. They're all over the, the, the states, right? And so after hearing from all of them and finding out, man, what they're into, what they're all about, and, and where they are in their lives, how many kids they had, or, 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 or whatnot, I started thinking, and I couldn't help to think for a minute, of who I was back then. And, and I started thinking about what I used to do back then, and what kind of person I was back then. And, and it, it was almost, you know, kind of embarrassed. I was almost embarrassed to know that there were people out there that knew me back then. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Don't, don't you wish, like, you know, those, those people don't exist anymore. They only know you now when you're, when you're a halfway decent person at least. Right? But, but I started almost getting embarrassed. I said, oh, Jesus, these people knew me back then. And a couple of them told me that thump that you heard that night, that was three or four of us just hitting the floor after, after seeing. They found me on our website, searching, and, and they found each other. Everybody found each other, and I was the last one. And then they, they, they see George Martinez, and they see Sanctuary Fellowship. They actually, they found me, Jason, at an Awakening the Passion um, MySpace. So they went from there, then they said, Pastor George Martin, surely that can't be it. You know, there, there was, and, and then they, they, and it ended up at the church, and then they see my picture, and on the MySpace, they see a picture of me washing Sal's feet. So you can imagine how these guys just hit the floor. Because you see, we're talking a really long, long time ago, right? We're talking freshman, sophomore year. How old are you in that, in that age, at that 14, 15. So we're talking a really, really young George here, right? And, you know, you, you, you're going to laugh, but 
they, they, they used to, <laughs> this is bad. See, I used to go by a name. You know how young people, right? You give yourselves a name, right? Larry, what was your name growing up? Bruiser. What? Bruiser. Bruiser. See, that makes sense. Stand up for a minute. Larry was Bruiser. That makes sense. Well, see, one of my names was Face Man. See, now, if you are not an 80s kid, you know nothing about that. Anybody watch the A-Team back in the 80s? Okay, so if, if you're an 80s kid, then you know about Face Man. Right? So, so that was my name, Face Man. And, you see, if you weren't an 80s kid, you wouldn't understand this, but I used to wear Webber boots and Lees with permanent creases sewn in the front and back of the Lees. See? Those that are 80s people, I know you're cracking up. because you, you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you don't understand. I had Lees permanently creased in the front and back. I take them to the cleaners to have these creases put in. And, and oh boy. I used to wear matching Le Tigre pullovers. Nobody, just two of us? See, and, and not only the Le Tigre pullovers, but how about the Le Tigre plastic hoodies? The windbreakers, right? And so my Le Tigre plastic hoodies used to have to match perfectly with my Lees. But not only that, they had to match the super fat thick laces on my shell top Adidas. Who's down with that? We're talking to young George here. And so, I mean, I used to put an extra sock underneath the tongue of the Adidas. Anybody from the 80s? So that the, so that the sneaker would pop up like this. And my mother and father yell at me all the time, how are you going to run with that? Easy, you take them off and you run. That's how you run. Just like we could tell our young people today, how you run with your pants down to here. You pick them up and you run, right? We all make adjustments. So my friend Sam, my friend Sam, thank God for Sam. He saved my life on many an occasion. Sam was a bruiser like, like Larry. And Sam used to have to, no matter where we were, no matter how late it was, Sam would walk me home. Because on my block, I was the only light-skinned guy, and it was nothing but Dominicans that hated my guts. I, I didn't like Dominicans for a long time. Now, now I have Dominicans on the team, I got Dominicans on staff. So God has done a wonderful thing, Amen. But, but Sam used to have to walk me home every night, no matter how late, no matter what. Big bruiser used to just walk me home, make sure that I got home without getting killed. And they would throw bottles at me. They, we, we went through a whole lot of stuff. My friend Sam, this is for the 80s people, used to carry a radio on his shoulder that if you stood it up on his side was bigger than me. This radio had more lights and equalizers and speakers that when we'd come down the street at night, you'd think it was a cop car coming through. <laughs> this thing was so heavy, I'm sure that my poor brother Sam has about four slip discs in his back from, where, from carrying this radio on his thing. The thing took about 97 D batteries to, to power this thing. So you imagine how heavy that thing was. You had one of those, Larry? Let me wrap up the whole picture to really give you the picture, see? Um, 
We'd walk around with this radio and at any given time we'd break out into dance wherever we wanted to. That was just the 80s. That's what we did. God forbid we'd run into a piece of cardboard or a linoleum. It was on, right? Windmills, the whole nine, right? If I recall, none of us could really dance, but we sure thought we could. To even give you a further picture, we wore beads. Our colors were blue and gray. Those beads on a shoestring, the hair braid beads, you know? A lot of young people wearing them today, they think they're cool, like they come up with that. Way back, way back. Many times we almost got killed for wearing stupid color beads on our neck, on the train, on the D train in, in the Bronx. There were five of us at first. Check this out. And so your pastor ran with a crew, because that's what we called them back then. We were a crew, right, my 80s folk? And there were five fellas at the time, and so we simply called ourselves, you ready? The Fresh Five. Y'all can laugh, but you know that's sweet right there. You know that was kind of smooth. We had business cards. We had business cards that said the Fresh Five with our tags and everything on it. We all thought we were graffiti artists. There was only one of us that was actually any good. But we were the Fresh Five. So now the point of sharing all this with you is, is, is not just so that you can laugh at me this morning, but there's something really cool here. Listen. The point is, that's who I was. See, and, and that's who my friends went looking for, but that's not who they found. They, but they did, in fact, find me. The email said, Jason found George. But when, when, what I want you to notice is that I didn't do anything to be found. I didn't join classmates.com. I didn't, I didn't send out. I, I wasn't trying to be found. You understand? I didn't do anything to be found. I didn't even know I was lost. Right? But, but yet, Jason found George. And the only part that I played in being found was to accept it. See, I could have ignored the email, I could have sent it to the spam list and kept it moving, right? But in replying, I chose to accept being found. That just got spiritual on you. If you didn't catch it, you're cold. See, now, it's no coincidence, all week I had been reading and studying in Luke 15, and it's a passage of scripture where Jesus shared three little parables about nothing else but a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. How many of you know that ain't a coincidence? Thank you, Jair. But, so you see, I'm titling this message, Lost and Found. And I'm dedicating it to all of my high school friends, who I've sent an email to, and I've asked them tonight to log on and listen to this message. And so, I just want to say to the Fresh Five, God bless you. I pray that you're blessed. I pray that you're encouraged. And the sanctuary just sends you a big shout out. Amen, amen. So you see, the Pharisees of that time, those are the real religious folks back then, right? They, they, they had been complaining and questioning about why Jesus used to hang out with sinners. And, and they were wondering and grumbling about why he genuinely befriended and deeply accepted those who run from God. 
And see, the, the world that Jesus was born into was much like today. It, it was a world that has lost sight of God. It's a world that lives in spite of God. A world that just has lost sight of, of what it is, you know, of who God is. And what God set out to accomplish by sending his son in the flesh into this world was to bring us to the saving knowledge that even when we don't know that we were lost, even when we thought we had everything in the control, even when we thought we figured everything out, God's love still searches for us. Somebody say amen. amen. If you've been found by that. Amen. His grace searches for us and finds us right where we are. Listen, you could be running from God today. You could think you're hiding from God. Or you could be so full of hurt, so full of doubt, so full of fear that you don't even want to believe in God. But his love will find you. See, before Jason found George, Jesus found George. Amen. And, and when Jesus found George, he found me deep in the middle of my ugly mess. He found me deep in the shell of my own pride, my own self-sufficiency. He found me as the straight-up selfish and self-centered person that I was. All I ever cared or thought about was me. Many, many years, and, and all of those friends can tell you that's true. He found me when I didn't even know that I was lost. And so, see, in these short little stories, Jesus is painting a picture of what coming to God truly is. See, we have this picture of, of, of repentance and this picture of, of being right with God. And it's, it's the same picture that these Pharisees had back then. It was the same picture that the uptight religious folk all over the world today are trying to sell to you. It's all about our behavior. And it's all about, you know, what we do that makes us right with God. And, and that kind of thinking has us continually measuring ourselves. And, and we get crazy and, and it goes all the way from self-assurance to self-righteousness, all the way down to, to, to self-assessment and self-hatred. Anybody been there? Where you, you get so defeated, you just hate yourself. Or, or many of you probably know those guys that, that get so self-righteous. You... you, you you know, you don't want to deal with them either. Amen? Amen. So it's, it's, you know, we, we measure things about, we measure things of, of by, by how much right we do as far as, you know, how much wrong we do. And, and we base God's love for us on where we fall in that chart. Anybody been guilty of that? See, it's all about what we do, everything that we do, that we do, everything that I do. And, and you know, it, it leads us, you know, what can, can I just release you today from the doo-doo? Amen? I know I preached a message like that a long time ago, releasing you from the doo-doo. But somebody needed to hear that again today. I mean, realistically, can you ever pray enough to satisfy God? When do you stop reading the Bible? Like, can you ever read enough? Can you ever do enough good? Can you ever be good enough? How much do-do-do do you have to do before God is done? Anybody got an answer for that? See, could it be that there's something different? Could, could Jesus have told these stories so that we can simply understand that all we need to do, family, is to accept being found? If you really look at these stories that Jesus tells, you'll see that being right with God has more to do with who we are 
than what we do. Amen? See, Jesus is speaking to two types of people here. He's speaking to those that think they can earn their way into a right relationship with God. And then he's speaking to those that are running from God and running from God's ways. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. I want you to listen real quickly as, as we go through these stories very, very quickly. They're short little stories because in each story, God plays a character. Jesus tells the story because in these stories, he plays a character in each one of these stories. I want you to, to catch the symbolism in it. The stories are found in Luke chapter 15. And the first one is just a couple of sentences. It goes like this. Luke 15, 4. It says, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Amen? Catch the symbolism here. In the Middle East, a lost sheep could take two to three days to be found. Okay? The lost sheep has wandered. The, sometimes the sheep wander off from the pack. And so it could take two to three days to find one. And what happens is when a sheep realizes that he's lost, he doesn't hear the other sheep around him, he doesn't see all the other sheep around him, he realizes he's lost, he gets terrified. And all he could do is stay totally still, terrified. He starts to cry out. They call it bleeding. So when a lost sheep is lost, when he realizes that he's lost, he stays totally still and he cries out. And then even when the sheep hears the voice of the shepherd, it can't move because it's so terrified. Listen. It's almost as if the sheep knows that he's wandered off and that he's ended up someplace where he shouldn't be. And so now he's scared of what's going to happen. Anyone ever wandered off from where you should be and you've been too scared to come back because you don't know how people were going to react? See, this is why when the shepherd finds the sheep, He's got to pick the sheep up, and he's got to put it over his shoulders, around his neck, and he's got to bring the sheep back to the fold. Now, understand that that takes a lot of work. It takes a big part on, on the good shepherd, because this sheep is about 60 to 70 pounds. So he's carrying 60 to 70 pounds of scared sheep on his shoulders. You got to be careful how you say that, right? He's, and, and, and keep in mind, he's not wearing Tim's. He's in chancletas, right? He's in wilderness territory in chancletas, and he's carrying a 70-pound... See, the good shepherd goes after the lost sheep. Say amen. amen. <clears throat> but notice, the sheep cries out. It can't do anything else to, to get itself found. Even once the sheep is found, it doesn't move, it doesn't follow, and it doesn't run away. All the sheep does in the story that Jesus is telling is it accepts being found. Now remember, the Pharisees are complaining about Jesus hanging out with sinners. Jesus says, my purpose is to find and restore that which was lost. So they're saying, why are you going after them? And Jesus is saying, that's my purpose. That's what I do. Amen? 
So he's telling the Pharisees with this story, you are bad shepherds. You don't give a sheep about your people. Ha-ha. <laughs> Dan, I like that one. He's telling them, he said, you're bad shepherds. You don't give a sheep. The, the, they could get lost and you don't care. But, but Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I go after the sheep that was lost. God's love goes after the lost sheep. Do you understand that? Amen. The lost coin in Luke 15, 8. Another simple little story. He says, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she ever loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now there's a lot of cool stuff in this little, little story. See, Jesus calls these religious people a careless woman. And you have to understand the implications of that. Because in Middle Eastern culture, the Pharisees thought that women were beneath them. They still do. They think that women were beneath them. And, and you, you know, in their daily prayers, the Pharisees would pray, Thank you, God, that I wasn't born a woman. In their daily prayers. So, so for God to call them a woman, that's a major insult. You, you understand that? And so what, what Jesus does here, not, what Jesus does here in this time is that not, not only does he, 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 he you know, insult them that way, but what he does is he elevates women by, by even, he elevates all women by even depicting God as a woman in the story. Because the good woman lights a lamp and searches and finds the coin and then rejoices. So, so, God de- so Jesus depicts God as a woman. You, you understand the, the implications of that is, is huge here. Now, not only that, but there's something so awesome about this little story because listen to this. In, in this story, the lost is an inanimate object. It's a coin. The coin can't do anything to get itself found. You understand that? The coin can't do anything. The coin can't earn salvation. The coin can't earn. The coin can't, can't get itself found. The coin can do nothing but be a coin. But you know what's awesome about that? Is that a coin, even when a coin is lost, still has its worth. Come on. I'll let, I'll let you receive that one. Even when the coin is lost, it's still worth the same thing. Some of you need to receive that. The costly role in this story is played by God. Who does all the do, do, do in this story? God does all the do. God lights the lamp, God goes searching, and God does the finding. All the doing is done by God. See, lighting a lamp in those days required oil. Oil was a high price back then. It still is today, right? But oil back then was was money. And so to light a lamp would cost money, but, but, and, and then to go searching would, would take time. But see, in this story, God does all the, he pays the price and he does all the searching. Amen? Does that sound like the gospel? God paid the price. God did the seeking. 
See, you can feel like you've totally blown it today. You can be at a point in your life when you say, man, I've done too much. My bad outweighs my good. There's no way that God would ever want to find me where I am, family. That coin was a, a dark, dingy coin on a dark floor with crevices and layers and dirt. And the only way you'd be able to find such a coin was to light a, a lamp. And even with the light, with this light in the room, it's still going to take some time to find it. Jesus told this story so that we can know today that even when we're so lost that we can't do anything to have ourselves found, the love of God has paid the price and is shining a light and has been diligently searching for you because He loves you and because He doesn't want to leave you in the condition that you're in right now. The coin had no choice in the story but to accept being found. Last story. It's about a lost son. This story is a little longer, so I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. A father has two sons. It's found in Luke 15, 11. A father has two sons, and one day the younger son tells the father, I want what's coming to me. He says, I want my share of the family possessions. And you see, in that time, uh, asking for your share was like wishing your father dead. I mean, understand the implications. If you had two sons, when you died, your sons would get everything when you died. But for a son to come to the father and says, I want my inheritance now, means I wish you were dead because I can get my stuff. And so the father has two choices here legally. He could deny him and excommunicate him or he can give him. How many know sometimes God gives us our rebellious desires? Because He loves us so much. And, and, and He lets us go on that rope praying and hoping that one day we'd return. Amen? So that's what the, the, the father does here. The father so loved his son, he gets it all together. It says it takes a couple of days. You know why? Because in that time, he didn't go with a debit card to the bank and just pull out his share of the money. In that time, your wealth was in your possessions, in your land, in your animals. So the father had to go to his humiliation and sell land and sell possessions to get the, the, the son's portion. But it says and he does it, and in a few days, the kid... The son takes off with his share of the family fortune. And to put it in my words, the kid takes everything that he has and he goes buck wild. That's what the Word of God says. He goes buck wild. I mean, he, it says that he squanders everything that he has on loose living. You fill in the blanks of what that means. Picture this young, probably teenage kid with dollars, just dollars. And, and, and you know, as a young person, we never see the end of money. We just see we got a lot of money and we think it's never going to finish, right? And so that's why people that hit the lotto, they end up three years later, they're poor, they're broke, right? You think, because you never knew how to be rich. You never knew how to live that way, right? And so this kid just goes nuts. He spends everything on loose living. And it says, when he has spent everything... Then it turns out there's a famine in the land. How many of you know that God is in control of everything? Amen. And so you see, if there wouldn't have been a famine, maybe, you know, he might have made it, made it a little longer. Maybe he could have gotten a job someplace, or maybe he might have survived on his own a little bit longer. But, but God times everything just right to get us to where we need to be. Amen? 
So it says, after he runs out of everything, what a coincidence, now everybody has to pay for his... Because now there's a famine in the land. And all he could do to... Um, all he could do to make ends meet, you know, he finds himself, he begins to get really, really hungry. Because imagine now he's been living, he's been eating steak and surf and turf, and he's been going to Red Lobster, and he's been going to fancy restaurants, and he's just been, you know, he takes all his boys and rounds a drink for everybody on me, and, and now he's got nothing. And now he's got nothing, and there's a famine, so the boy's hungry. It says the man gets hungry. And so he's forced to go to work for a foreigner. For a Jew to go to work for a foreigner was a big thing in that, in that time. What does he do? He goes to work for a foreigner who gives him the job of feeding pigs. You've got to understand that to a Jew, pigs are detestable. Feeding a pig would be the least job. That would be worse than any job that you could imagine for a person of, of that culture. So he goes to work feeding pigs. And, and it says that he gets so hungry that he would have eaten the cobs that they were feeding the pigs, but no one would give him any. Somebody say rock bottom. You ever been that low? You ever been that low? Maybe not feeding pigs, because we, I mean, we don't do that here, but, but you understand that, that analogy, right? You understand being so low that you would do things that you would normally never do. You understand being so low that you would accept things that you would normally never have accepted. Anybody been there? And so, it says, you know, that, that, that <laughs> he, when he hits rock bottom, he starts thinking. It says, then, then he came to his senses. You know, usually when we hit rock bottom, we come to our senses, right? We start thinking. we like, okay, crack is whack. Right? At this point, at rock bottom, we say crack is whack. You know, two weeks ago, crack is all right. Crack is good. Right? Two weeks ago, it was fun. Two weeks ago, sex was fun. After a visit to the clinic, sex was a little whack now. You, you understand what I'm saying? Right? Two weeks ago, getting high was fun. But after you failed the drug test and lost the job, now getting high is not so fun. You, you understand? Once we hit rock bottom, we start thinking. It says we come to our senses. And so it says that he came to his senses and he started thinking. And, and that's when he started scheming. He started saying, man, in my father's house, even the servants have enough bread to spare and I'm out here starving. So it says he prepares a speech. See, now a lot of people would tell this story and they might paint the picture that, that this is where the young man turns from his ways, wicked ways. No, it doesn't say that. It says the boy got hungry and he said, wait, my father has bread. And so it says that he prepares a speech. It doesn't say he means it in his heart. He just says, I'll go to my dad. I'll tell him, listen, I'm not worthy to be your son, yada, yada, yada. But if you give me a job as a slave, at least I can work and I can eat and, and you know, good. He has this speech. It says that he rehearses it, that he says it. We read the speech three times before he even gets there. So to me, it's a speech. Amen? So it says that he's on his way and, and, and he goes to see it. And this is where many of us miss it, man. God, God knows the only thing that we can offer him are the filthy rags on our back and our fake speeches. Not too many amens. The only thing that we have is our filthy rags and our filthy motives. Let's be real. Most people don't come to God because they want to come to God. Right? Amen? 
Most people come to God because they want something. Right? They come to God because they're hungry. They come to God because they want healing. They come to God because they want relationship. They come to God because, because they, they're missing everything else. They come to God because they've tried everything else. They want something. They want financial blessing. They want something. Most people come to God with filthy rags and filthy motives. Listen, I came to church on a bet. The first time I came to church, it was on a deal that I made with God. I said, God, if you don't do this, then I'll go to church. You want to talk about a filthy motive and, and, and scheme? I was scheming God. But you know what? You know what's beautiful about that? God doesn't care. God just wants us. God doesn't care how we come. He just wants us to come. I mean, can you imagine how good the Father has to be knowing? Because every time you think you're fooling God, you're, you're, you're an idiot, right? Because he already knew. He already heard you rehearsing the speech six times before you got to him. You think it's a new speech by the time you get to him? Right? How many? Come on, we do it all the time, right? I'm telling you, I came to church for the first time on a deal. I said, God, I was in the back of a bus on a, on a trip on my way to Atlantic City. Yes, to gamble. I had a roll of quarters. I was ready to hit the slots. And, and I had done something. And, and, and me and my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, we said, God, if you do this, we'll do that. Let me let you know, God did that, and I did that, and I never left church again. Amen? That first time I came to church with my filthy rags, with my filthy motives, on, on the edge of a deal, on a bet. I, I, whatever message was preached, I went to the front, I cried out to God, I, I accepted being found that day. Amen? Now the beautiful part of this story is, is that it says that when the sun was still far off, the father had compassion on him and he ran. Say, God ran. You got to understand also the implications in Middle Eastern culture. A man over 40, it was humiliating for a man over 40 to run. That means that I can't even run in Middle Eastern culture. That's pretty sad. A man over 40 to run was humiliating. You know what else you had to do to run? You have big robes. To run, you have to lift up your robe. Humiliation. So the father endured humiliation to get to the son. Come on, is that the gospel? The father suffered humiliation to get to the son. Now, the son expected anger, but, but, but when he gets to him and he starts his little speech, the father doesn't even let him get through it. All he could say was, I am not worthy to be your son, but the father restored the son. He put shoes on the son. He put his best robe on the son. He put a ring on the son's finger. See, the son needed one thing to eat, but the father gave him four things. See, God will do abundantly more than we ever ask or imagine. The son just needed a sandwich. That's all the son needed. He needed a sandwich. The father says, put shoes on this boy. Why? Because sons, not slaves, wore shoes. He said, put shoes on this boy. He said, put a robe on him. See, a robe, God clothes us with robes of righteousness. Do you understand that no matter how filthy you are, no matter how dirty and sweaty your clothes could be, when you put a huge, beautiful robe on, all of a sudden you're respected. You're different. 
You're royalty. You understand what I'm saying? And then what does he do? Before he gets on the sandwich, he puts his ring. He said, put a ring on my son. A ring was like a platinum American Express back then. If you had the father's ring, you can buy, sell. You had authority. People looked at your ring and said, that boy has authority. So he came willing to be a slave, and the father restored him as a son. Shout if I'm talking to you. The imagery here is just the son returning with these dirty rags and with this fake speech and, and with the hopes that he can maybe get a job so that he can sustain himself. And instead, simply by turning to the father, he was accepted and he was restored. Man, that's good. See, in this story, Jesus paints the picture of, of the young son as the lost who, who, by the way he lives his life, wishes God was dead. So many times we make decisions for our lives. Listen, listen. So many times we make decisions by the way that we live that we are wishing God dead. We, so many times we make decisions for ourselves that say to God, I don't need you, I don't want you, I can handle this, just give me my damn portion. And what happens is, sometimes God will give you that damn portion, and it'll end up damning you. Say, say amen if you know what I'm talking about. So many people, see look, so many people are turned off by religion because they think God wants to make them a slave. But all the Father wants to do is to restore you as sons. You need to receive that today. Each scene illustrated in these stories gives a different way of being lost. The sheep was lost by foolish wandering. How many of us just wander today? Aimlessly, knowing it's foolish, knowing that we're not where we should be. Doing things we know we shouldn't be doing. Just, just wandering. The coin, listen to this, the coin was lost by what something, somebody else did. So many times today, we, because of what somebody else did, we won't go to church. We don't want God we, because of what somebody else did. God didn't do it. Somebody else did it. Somebody else hurt you, and, and you're cursing God for it. Somebody else did something to you, and you're cursing God to Another church might have done something to you, and you're cursing God for it. Some of us are lost like the coin, not because we did something, but because of something somebody else did. The son was lost because he just had a desire to live his own way, to live with no regard for God. But when the sheep realized it was lost, all it could do was cry out. The coin never even realized it was lost. And the son only realized it was lost when everything he thought would make him happy was finished. I challenge you today with this. In the end, all of them were found. Can we just bow, bow our heads a minute? Try not to be distracted. Try not to think about that. No matter what category you fell into today, no matter what story you could relate to, in the end, all three were found. Whichever you identify with today, it doesn't really matter. 
You need to know that there is nothing that you can do today to earn the Father's love. It's His will that each and every one of us, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, that we be found and that we would accept being found today. The Father's already paid the price and He's been searching for your heart since He first created it in your mother's womb. All I have to say to you today, family, is will you accept it? Will you accept being found today? Will you just drop the religion? Will you just drop the false, fake speeches? Would you drop the fake, phony act? Would you drop the filthy rags? Would you just come and just accept being found today? See, churches get so caught up on behaviors of the lost. God doesn't care what you did. Today, he just wants to restore you as a son. I'm going to challenge you as we worship right now. To see yourself in whatever, whatever story kind of fit you and whatever story kind of fit where you're coming from. If you're the lost sheep and you found yourself wandered off, then would you do as the lost sheep did and just stand up and just cry out? If you're too terrified to, to, to come to the altar, if you're too terrified to, to make any moves, would you just stand and be terrified and just stand? And let the shepherd come to you today. Or perhaps you're like the lost coin you don't even know you're lost. Something's ringing in your heart. You know God is doing something in you and you're, you're feeling something. You're not, you're not knowing how to respond today. Then would you, would you just, I'm not going to ask you to come out your seat. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Would you just maybe throw up a hand, stay right where you are. You don't have to stand up. But would you just raise your hand and say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, this is me. I didn't even know I was lost. I thought I had everything under control. And if you're like the lost son, see the, the difference about the son and the rest of them is that the son knew the father already. The son had already tasted the father. The son had already lived with the father. So for the son, the son had to turn around. The son had to turn from his life. He had to turn to the father. If you're like the sun today, would you just turn? Would you just stand up and say, I'm turning today. I'm turning. Amen. Amen. Just say, I'm turning today. I'm going to ask uh, for the, 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 the prayer team, the ministry team, if, if somebody lifted up their hands, I don't want you to bring them to the front. I want you to do exactly what the woman in the story did. Would you just go to them and just surround them and just pray with them and just let them know that they've been found today. Let them just accept being found. 
And if, if you see those that stood up when, when we talked about a lost sheep, it means that they're too scared to move. It means that they're too scared to respond. It means they just need to be noticed. They just need to be accepted. Would you do that, ministry team? Would you just go and, and hug on them? Would you, in the spirit, pick them up, put them on your shoulders, and carry them back to the fold? the lost sons listen I'm calling all the prodigals to just come come to the father come to the front you know what you've done you know how you're feeling you know what God is dealing with you I want you to just come let me let me symbolize the father here and would you just come to the father I want you to see the father's love running to you on the internet I just want to bless you if you're feeling any of this I just want to pray for you real quick before we move on before we worship I just want you to know that all you need to do is just say God you don't need to go join anything you don't need to be religious you don't need to be fanatic all you need to do is say God I love you I, I receive you I know that you care for me I know that you love me you just accept being found right where you are whether you're listening on the internet whether you're listening on your iPod would you just accept being found would you know that God loves you so much that he's already paid the price God bless you God bless you family let's come let's worship let's worship together as we close tonight as we close this afternoon come let's just worship together Thank you for supporting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We are a new and growing church with a passion and a heart towards enjoying God, serving people, and building healthy families. We pray that you will continue to fellowship and grow with us as we follow hard after God. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. God bless.